Good morning. I trust that you had a good rest. I had a good rest. Glory to God. I must say sometimes I struggle to sleep, but last night I didn't. Glory to the Lord. Let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your love and your grace, and I want to thank you that each one of us that are gathered here together, we are here to hear what you've got to say to us. We are here to bask in your love and in the goodness that you have for us. We are here to share in your life because that was your dream from the beginning. Thank you, Lord, that you have come to bring something to us that was bigger than what we could ever think or even ask for, and you've still come to do it. Thank you for your faithfulness and that your faithfulness is revealed in the earth and that we can see it and believe it and that you've come to wash our minds and sanctify who you are in our hearts and that as Greg has said this morning that we will see you and that we are seeing you manifesting in us. Thank you for your life and your closeness Lord. Speak powerfully through me today that I can bring a message that resonates with what you have been speaking to people's hearts even from conception. Amen. Today I'm going to talk about the forgiveness of sins. I just want to get my water quickly. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to define forgiveness of sins in the light of the original plan that God had for man. I want to say this as an introduction that the forgiveness of sins and the blood of Jesus and what Jesus Christ has done does not have a lot to do in cleaning the mind of God about thinking about the bad things that man has done in the earth. And I think that is very important for us to understand. When we think of the forgiveness of sins, many times in our own lives when we forgive somebody is when we decide not to think on the bad thing they've done. And then we want to take that lens and we want to look through that lens at forgiveness of sins when it comes to God forgiving us. It's almost as if the death and the resurrection of Jesus has more to do with God's mind and washing God's mind from an evil conscience wherein it is thinking of the evil that man has done in the world. But I want to tell you that the blood of Jesus does not wash the mind of God. Amen? The reason why we would think the blood of Jesus washes the mind of God is because we've got a legalistic, and when I talk about legalistic, please just uh, bear with me. I know many of you understand the concept of what the law truly is and the beauty of the law and the righteousness of the law and what it has come to do. But just bear with me that when I say law, I'm talking in the, uh, within the parameters of what we have made of it in the traditional, what I would say, charismatic move. Okay, so just put that, uh, that we just bring the context here. So when we would think of uh, forgiveness of sins, we've done it within the parameters of a law, where we would think of a police officer, for instance, where if somebody does something wrong, 
or we would think of well, with a police officer, with somebody has done something wrong, and now there is a law, and there's righteousness, and that police officer cannot just forgive you unless there is some payment that has been paid. And then we take that narrative, we take that story, we take that metaphor, and we try to explain the forgiveness of sins and what's going on between a loving father and his children within those parameters. And we basically say that God cannot just forgive us unless there is a legal payment, something that has been paid. And he, even if God wanted to forgive us, He cannot forgive us unless there is some form of a payment. Now, I want to tell you that that is not how the forgiveness of sin works in the Bible. That is not how it works. The blood of Jesus is not a kind of a soap that washes the mind of God. The blood of Jesus represents the life of Jesus. And the life of Jesus is represented in the blood in this sense that Jesus Christ died. His blood flowed out of him. The life of the sacrifice or the life of an animal would be in the blood. And the very same way, the life of Jesus was in the blood. And then he lost his life. He laid down his life. He died. And then he was raised from the dead and he appeared in heaven with his own blood as the sacrifice or as showing that he's cleansing and the temple, the heavenly temple was cleansed by Jesus saying, death has no hold on me, I was dead, but look, now I am alive forevermore and therefore life has entered into the world and, the, and this domain and so the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin cleanses us from all death, or we can put it this way, it cleanses us from what happened in the world through Adam. It's the life of Jesus. It's the life of Jesus wherein He died and He was raised and we see that His life flowed out of Him, but He was restored to a life that can never die. And the concept and the truth of this resurrection, therefore, washes us from a, a, a mindset where we feel we lack anything unto life. That is the forgiveness of sins. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus cleansing the mind of the Father, wherein traditionally the problem that humanity had was basically the Father. I mean, if a person sinned and there's a God that can see all your sin and just wants to punish you for the wrong things you've done, sin is not so much the problem as what the one is that can punish you is the problem. Isn't that true? You know, I used to like speed a lot. Speeding is not the problem. The police officer is the problem. 
I could speed any time, on any road, no problem. The problem is the police officer. Amen? If you have a child and your child speeds, you feel different about it than what a police officer feels about it. Why? Because speed kills. And you don't want your child to die. Amen? And if you had the power to raise the dead at will, and your child was speeding, and the worst thing possible happened to him, and he died, what will you do? You will deliver him from the wrong thing that happened to him, and you'll raise him from the dead, and so forgive him of the sin. Amen. Well, you need to understand that Paul preached and he said that without the resurrection of Jesus, there's no forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. That means that if Jesus died and he wasn't raised, that sins wasn't forgiven. I want to tell you Jesus was raised from the dead. I think we need to meditate on that. I think we have to kind of look and start where it started for the Apostle Paul. Where did it start for Paul? Not in Genesis. Not in Exodus. Not in his circumcision. None of that. Where it started for Paul was when he was persecuting the church and the guy he thought was dead appeared to him. That changes your theology. And I think that's what's happening to us. All of a sudden, you know, we in the Grace Church, we've heard the gospel of grace. We've heard that God is not angry. We've heard that God loves us and so forth. And all of a sudden, we find an empty grave. And now we have to interpret everything, the grace, mercy, forgiveness, the loving kindness of God through the empty grave. And not just the empty grave, the glorified man that's seated at the right hand of God. Yesterday, we were looking, for, just as part of the introduction, I want to say this. I want you to know the blood of Jesus does not wash the mind of God. The Father is not your problem. The problem is that the people that God loves, the people that He dreamt to have, the people that He has formed from the dust of the earth, and I can see how he's making the man from the dust of the earth. And every step he says, oh, that's good. Ah, that's good. Oh, that's wonderful. 
because he knows what he will accomplish in that man. And as he's making all of this, we find that this man, the bad thing that happens is that in this project of God, and man, there's so much to say about it, but just excuse the simplicity of it. The people that God made got poisoned. And the dream that God has for man was kind of as if there was a poison entering into it. But it was put at a place where, there, where, death, where death entered into this project. And God had to remove death from it. That is what forgiveness of sin is. Now, the Father is not your problem. As much as what a person that's very sick doesn't have the doctor as their problem. Who of you goes when you drive under the influence of alcohol? Don't put up your hand. When you are driving, saying, well, I see a police officer over there. Let me just go, in, go and inform him on what's going on. Nobody does that. But you can find somebody, if he has done the most horrible thing sexually, and he, has, he finds that he's got a sexual transmitted disease, boldly go to the doctor and tell him everything. Why? Because the doctor is there to forgive you from your sin. He's there to remove the consequences of your sins from you. By doing what? By offering you medicine to heal you. Jesus said, that he's a doctor. You know that verse in the Bible where he says, the sick needs a doctor. And he looks at what the father is doing within the parameters of being a doctor that's come to heal people. And the sickness that humanity suffers from is called death. And when I, do, when I talk about death, I'm not using it as, as a metaphor. I'm talking about the real deal. People are dying. That's why when God looked at the problems of the world, He knew what the medicine would be, and that is to raise a man from the dead that he can never die and take that one who knows how to conquer death in physical human flesh and appoint him and say to him, I am the Father and I will give people unto you, and I've got a commandment unto you, and this is Jesus, this Jesus is what you must do. Everyone I give unto you, you shall raise him up in the last day. Jesus has got a job to do. Hallelujah. Remember yesterday we talked about everything is by promise. Why is it by promise? so that it can be by God. 
and so that what is given can be God. Amen. The Bible also says that it is by grace so that the promise can be sure. The reason why God didn't bring your works into the equation is then what is promised is not sure. He wanted it to be sure. That's why he says it's by grace. If you go and read in Timothy, he says that he has given us grace before the world began. That means it has always and will always and has never been in any other way by, but by him gracing you unto eternal life. Grace is defined as the very power by which God fulfills what he's promised you. That's grace. Hallelujah. So the Bible says he promises and then he makes grace, which is his ability to bring the promise into fulfillment available before you were even made. Then he makes you. Why does he do it that way? So that what he promises can be sure. Now, why do we promise our children that we'll pick them up from school? We promise them so that they can rest, so that them coming home can be sure that they will not stress. Our promise saves them from their own ability, from trying to implement their own ability to run and walk, to get home. If your kid is 15 miles from school and there are freeways and many people and dangerous areas between where you live and where the school is, you don't want him to go home on his own power because he'll be in harm's way and he can lose his life. Now, we promise so that for the purpose of the child resting, not implementing his own power. But let's say your child's name is Adam. And you come to pick him up at school. And he didn't believe you. What will you say? Adam, where are you? Adam is now busy walking home. Using his power to get home, to get to the place where he feels he belongs. If somebody would come and say to Adam while he's at school, listen Adam, your daddy has got a very busy schedule today. He's not going to pick you up. The moment you don't, Adam doesn't trust his father's integrity, to the measure wherein he doesn't trust his father's integrity and the measure of the deception where the person might tell Adam, you're a good athlete, you can reach home. You remember the judo classes you did? If anything comes your way, you can defend yourself. You're safe in your own power. 
And Adam believes it. And Adam starts to walk home. What does Adam do? He's in disobedience. What is the disobedience? The disobedience is to not rest in the integrity of the Father and the ability of the Father to bring forth what He has promised. And every, doesn't matter how successful Adam is walking home, it is a sin. Now, imagine Adam walking home and he's walking through a dangerous area. He gets beaten up. He gets kidnapped. If you ask the father when he pitches up at school and walks around with a kind of an anxiousness about him saying, Adam, where are you? What would sin be in the mind of the father? Sin in the mind of the father would be my son is not resting and my son is not here. If the father finds out that the son has been beaten up, what would sin be? Sin would be the fact that the child is in pain and that the child is being beaten up. What a hateful picture of a father would it be if the father says, well, unless this child says he's sorry and try and get back here to school, I'm not helping him. Because he's got unconfessed We have to use the original intent of God as our methodology by which we define things like forgiveness of sins. We cannot use anything but God's original intent to define things like righteousness and justification. If we look at God's original plan, which was, as I've explained last night and laid the foundation, to make Himself visible, create matter wherein He will show Himself forth, where He can be handled and touched, as John said in 1 John, where His people will live forever and never die, where He can have a a relationship with His people forevermore, that as Greg said here, that they can know God. If we look at that vision, we must have that vision as the lens through which we define what is right and what is wrong. If people are not sharing in that, it's wrong. It is a sin. And if you find your child being kidnapped, being beaten, being made a sex slave somewhere. I mean, he might even be so brainwashed that he looks at all of his sin that he's busy with and not even seeing it as, as a sin 
maybe if it's a boy, Adam, you know, he, he becomes a male prostitute, whatever it would be, on drugs, whatever it would be. What would sin be in the mind of the father? Would the father say, while that boy is a sex slave for someone, saying, oh, shame on him, you sexually immoral. No, he would say it's an absolute sin that my child is a slave of something else. It's a sin that my child is not home. It's a sin that my child is not at peace. And it is an absolute sin that my child's life is being destroyed. And then you'll find a loving father if that child was kidnapped and he's part of some brothel or some uh, under uh, 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 some kingdom of darkness that he comes in with a vengeance and he destroys that kingdom of darkness to deliver his child from the exile that the child is in and bring him home. That is what the forgiveness of sin is. If you ask God, what is a sin? He says, he would say, it's a sin that my people are dying. It's a sin that my people are uh, held bound by the pressures of this world. It's a sin that my people, when they watch news, are afraid. It's a sin that my people think that they need to jump through hoops so that I can do something for them. It's a sin that my people, they are so hopeless that they cannot even have hope for their physical bodies which I created as the very medium through which I will express my fullness. That they have no hope for the world. That they've got a kind of an escape theology that they don't even see that I can dwell with them forever. That is a sin. And I want to deliver them from it. If you don't enjoy my message, I enjoy it myself. Hallelujah. I like what Greg said. We are not here to draw life from one another as if we are lacking life. Two ticks and no dog. Once God has loved upon you and you start to see how He has forgiven you of sin, you see how forgiveness of sins cannot be defined in any other thing as God lifting the burden from you where you try to produce life and make life work. By giving you life and proving to you that He can take a man that has taken all the death of all the world unto Him, hanging upon a cross, defined as cursed, and all that He has is just the Father that promised Him. That's all he has. His hands are nailed. It cannot be by his works. It only has to be by the faithfulness of the Father. And what does the Father do? The Father of the three days raises him from the dead, never to die, to have in his body the full glory of God. 
And that is God's word on the forgiveness of sins. I want to read a passage. Let me just hear how long have I preached? I want to read the beautiful passage that explains this in the Old Testament. This is going to be, you can jot it down from Exodus 34, verse 5 to 9. This is where God made His appearance to Moses. Now, a little bit of background. The way it worked back then, the Jews, after being in slavery for 400 years under the Egyptians and all the gods of the Egyptians, weren't basically Bible Belt Christians. They didn't know all of Christianity. They didn't worship God every day. They didn't have teachers teaching them every day, you know, what the Torah says, because they didn't have it. They had some tradition, some oral traditions, maybe. You must remember when, 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 when uh, uh, Joseph brought his family in under the Pharaoh, there were about 70 people. And there in slavery and growing up there, they multiplied in that slavery. So I don't think they had, and this is my opinion, had the best view of even who God is. They were a bit confused. Then Moses, you know the whole story, God appeared to him, sent him. I don't think he really knew what was going on, but God revealed himself to him and sent him back to lead the people out. Then the way it worked back in Mesopotamian days, it, was, it worked like this. If you had a bit of a family that was growing and you had about a hundred people and you formed a little town, you needed to find yourself a god. You want the god of fertility and you want the god of war especially. And then you would want a god, uh, 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 I mean you would want the god of prosperity. You would want a God that can help your crops grow and so forth. You want the God of small animals, for instance. These are all gods that I'm mentioning that was in the Mesopotamian times. And what they would do is, the, uh, these, they would invite these gods through certain rituals and things, which I'm not going to get into, to come and be their gods to protect them from the other people. So the whole narrative would be, and sometimes, and this is the way people would look at it, as they want a God. And this God, they would invite the gods. They would make sacrifices unto these gods. So the gods can come and live amongst them and be good to them. Now, listen to what God does. He said, Israel is my son. He was never confused about who she was or who he is when he was in, his, uh, in Egypt. He called his son out. And you know what happened in the desert? After calling them out, he says, well, I think it's time that I fully present who I am to the people in the hope that they will invite me in. Now, with that said, we find that he appeared to Moses and Moses said to him, well, God, I see you as a fire. I see that the earth shakes in your presence, but all I'm seeing is a shaking earth and a bright light. Who are you? I hope you hear what I'm saying. And he says, please show me your glory. 
when, when, when he would say, show me your glory, it's another way of saying, what are you all about? Verse 5 goes like this, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with Moses and proclaimed the name of the Lord. That is another way of saying, explaining who He is. He says, I am the Lord. And as the Lord passed before Him, He proclaimed the following, or He explained His name. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord God. What He was saying there is, I am the eternal existing one. I am, I have no beginning and no end. I am the essence of all life. That's what he's saying. Then he now calls his specialities. He says, I am merciful. Merciful would mean that when he sees someone in a difficult time, his heart of compassion bursts open. The most vulnerable part of this God would be laid bare and He will come basically crawling, washing the feet of those who suffer. That's what mercy means. Mercy means to be moved by the depth of compassion. That's what he means. He says, I am merciful and gracious. Gracious means I've got the power to produce what I promise you. Now imagine, I see this humble God. He sees His people in, 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 in slavery. His heart bursts open. He says, what's happening here? He's a son. What Pharaoh was doing is a sin. I'm going to forgive my people. And I'll forgive them by offering my life. Then he offers his life, leads them out. After he offered his life, led them out. He, he says, he doesn't even push himself down on them. Moses says, God, show me what you are all about. He says, let me tell you who I am. I'm the eternal existing one. I've got no beginning. I've got no end. Why my speciality is to have a heart that is towards those who suffer. And I've got the power to bring it forth. Because I had a dream for you. And my dream for you is not to return to the dust of the earth, but to live forever. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And the Lord passed by before him and he proclaimed, I'm the Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Now listen to this. I mean, we can go into every one of those, but time will not allow. I don't have to say everything today. We've got eternal life together. <clears throat> but listen to what he says. He says, I'm keeping mercy for thousands. What does he do with the gracious, long-suffering, abundant of goodness and truth? 
What does he do with that? He says, this is what I'm keeping, and this is the purpose for thousands. What does this do? It forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. This is what I do. This is what I specialize in. Now listen to this. He says, I will by no means clear the guilty. I will by no means miss any guilty one. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children's children until the third and fourth generation with the mercy that I've kept for them. That means that if a father has sinned, in other words, if a father is in sin, if a father is at a place where he's experiencing death, and that death has gone into the generations and messed up his children's 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 children, the f God says, I am so much for life that I see the injustice that has been done to my people and its effects into its families that I will not pass by any child's 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 child with this love to bring life to them. That's how he presents himself. And what he calls, the, what we call the forgiveness of sin is what God offers and says, I've come to give you life. Moses, Moses understood what God said. And we can see, and I would submit to you that my interpretation of those verses is accurate in the light of Moses' response. And Moses made haste and bowed to the earth and worshipped, and he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, or if this is true, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray you, go amongst us. Come and live amongst us, for we are a stiff-necked people. Isn't that powerful, man? And come and pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us for your inheritance. What he's basically saying is, come and pardon our sin and inherit us and all our problems. It's a sin that you don't have peace. It's a sin that when you look at the news, that you have fear and think, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? It's a sin to have your life in turmoil if they steal votes. Since when can a, a, a voting machine Produce eternal life. We don't squabble in those scraps as the church.
We're not waiting for the crumbs that falls from politicians' tables, man. We're not the dogs of the world. We are the children of the Almighty God. And He's come to forgive us of living in fear in this world. For He has destined, let me tell you this, and I've said it yesterday, it might be shocking, but let me hear this, just hear this. Pray God and hear this. Pray to God and hear this. He says He's made the earth for man to dwell in where He will reveal who He is. You don't want to be in any other place. This is where He reveals Himself. Imagine you were not in the cosmos, you were in some other place, and God has come to reveal who He is in the resurrection of Jesus. You would have missed it. Hallelujah. But here we are. Stuck in God's dream. I want to tell you, when God looks at what He's done in the earth, when He looks at what He's done in you, you, know, you need not to fear. You cannot be condemned by a ballot box. You know, Lord, what they're going to do now? Jesus, I just want to tell you. They're going to bring COVID again. And then, oh Lord Jesus, you need to help us this time. I know last time you didn't really help us, but help us this time. Do you think COVID can separate you from the love of God? It cannot, man. Even if you die of COVID, it cannot separate you from the love of God. Because you'll be raised up right out of that grave and God's dream for you will continue. In the earth. Hallelujah. Nothing can separate us. We're not living at the mercy of what's going on in political uh, uh, rooms. We're not living at the mercy of politicians. No. That we are not judged by anyone. We judge all things. Oh man, I wish I had time to explain that. We judge all things. We cannot be condemned. We condemn all things. Hallelujah. We are the body of the Christ. You might say, but I'm just a little dog. And I feel so weak. Well, Jesus one day went to a woman. Or the woman came to Jesus. She was a Greek woman. Say to Jesus, my daughter is sick. Can you do something? Jesus said, it's not right to take the food of the children and give it to the dogs. Then she said, Jesus, but I'm your dog. And even the animals of the righteous, the Bible said, oh, they are blessed. They are cared for. So even if by some situation you might say, I'm a dog, or I've done everything wrong, or I don't qualify according to a, 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 a list of rules, 
Jesus is greater than your death. He's greater than what you've done wrong. He's come to give you life and immortality. I want to end off with this. The Bible says, For God so loved the world. Do you know that verse? I remember it was so, so funny. Professor N.T. Wright, I reckon he's one of the top New Testament scholars in the world. He entered into America and uh, he was wearing one of those collars, you know. It was the Bishop of Durham. And he came in, in here and the, they pulled him out of the line there at the customs and uh, uh, immigration and stuff. Question him. So he says, no, you say you're a bishop. He says, yes. He says, quote John 3.16. So he quoted it in Greek. <laughs> we all know John 3.16, but I think we've missed John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Then the next part, that we will not perish. That word perish there, go and study it, if you want to go and study it, it simply means to die. But that we will have eternal life. Now we need to ask ourselves, and I'm ending off with this, what is an only begotten son? That's a very important thing. I want to tell you, only Jesus was born twice. Now this is a shocker, but Jesus was born again. It's difficult for us to hear, but just hear me out. Jesus was born of Mary. You agree with me? He was born like a normal human being. He was born, it must have been painful to Mary. The umbilical cord was cut. He started to drink on Mary and he grew up as a normal human being. Then Jesus, after being nailed to a cross, died. After his death, he was raised from the dead. And the scripture says that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was begotten of the Father. That means that his body, which was a natural body, which needed oxygen, to, to oxygen and needed food and needed the normal things, that very same body was reborn where he didn't owe the birth of the body to his mother Mary, but where the birth of the body, he owes the very life to God the Father. That is what you call begotten of God. Now, let's read it. Acts 13, 33, God has fulfilled the same unto us his children, in that he raised Jesus up again, as it's written in the second psalm, you are my son. Now listen, he says, he's fulfilled the promise unto them in that he raised Jesus from the dead. As it said in the second psalm, you are my son. This day, which day? The day when Jesus was raised from the dead, I have begotten you. 
And it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten, the resurrected Christ, so that we will not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's why Paul said, Without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sin. How can you be delivered from the death that there was in the world without someone who can give you the life God has promised you? The Bible says, the law was given that sin might abound. Let me explain that in closing. The law was just given so that what happened in Adam could become very clear. And when we saw what really happened in Adam and it became very clear, what God had in mind became even clearer. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Where sin abounded or where what happened in Adam became clear through the law. Grace, that which God vowed He will, as the power by which He will fulfill His promise, became even clearer. Hallelujah. The law was just given so that we can see. We cannot live by our own power. And it became very clear that it can only be by promise. I declare to you today, through the resurrection of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Believe the gospel. Amen.